This morning for our Easter message, I'm preaching, and the title is, He Crowns Us with Love and Compassion. Last week, I spoke about the fact that He redeems our life from the pit. We've been doing a series called O oh, Taste and See, and we started with Psalm 34, and we've gone on to Psalm 103, and David now talks about the benefits of knowing God, the benefits of having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you here this morning, if what I'm talking about seems a little bit unusual, I want you to understand that God never intended for church just to be something we attend. God intended to invade earth by invading our lives through personal relationship. And so we could attend church (laughs) the rest of our lives. And while there are many beneficial reasons for attending church, unless we invite Jesus Christ into our heart, unless we have this personal, dynamic experience of going from being a sinner to being a son of the Most High God. Everything is somewhat muted and dull. But when Jesus Christ is invited into our lives and we have this living relationship, then everything becomes extremely exciting and the Word of God becomes that much more real. For those of you who have experienced Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I get an agreement this morning? Absolutely. And so to follow along, partly in the theme and the series that we've been preaching, and incidentally, to parallel this message with Easter, I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 103, where David starts to list the benefits of God. And in verse 1 to 3, he says, Praise God. Come on, soul. I want you to praise his holy name. And don't forget the awesome things that God has done. If you've never experienced the awesome things that God has done, I want you to understand God is not content being a figure up in the heavens. He very much wants to actively engage and be a part of our day-to-day lives. David goes on and he says in verse 4, and I preached on the first half of verse 4 last week, he redeems our life from the pit. The second half of this same verse, David goes on and says, and he crowns you with love and compassion. And the word crowned in the Hebrew original manuscripts, the word there that we translate as crown, is a little different than what comes to our minds or the imagery that's conjured up. We think of a crown and we think of a crown that, sits on our head. If you go to Burger King, you get a paper crown. I like Burger King. I can't say I wear the paper crowns, 
But I like Burger King. I like Happy Meals. But in my house, every meal is a happy meal. We get to eat. It's a happy meal when families together and we're breaking bread and having fellowship. But the word crown is the word atah, atah. And it means to be surrounded, to be encircled, to be encompassed. God doesn't just put a crown on our head. What he was saying, what David was speaking of from his own personal experience is that God's love is something that encircles us. It surrounds us and it encompasses us. And in that love of God is protection. And so the protection of God surrounds me. In that love of God is concern for my well-being. So the well-being attitude of God surrounds me. It encircles me. It encompasses me. In the love of God is concern for my distress. And so when I am in distress, the love of God comes around me and starts to push back on all the agents of the forces of darkness. Now church, I believe that the word of God needs to be visual. And too often we read the Bible on a singular level or as if it was just one dimensional. But the word of God speaks to us on many levels. And so when I read this here, I am convinced, like David says, that God crowns me with his love, and therefore when I go walking through life, there is literally a force field around me. There is the presence and the power of God around me. And in his love is forgiveness. In his love is protection. In his love is deliverance. In his love is safety. And in his love is healing. And I choose to believe that all that good stuff about God's love surrounds me, it encircles me, and as I navigate through life, the love of God is making room for me and for you. Come on now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So David says, don't forget God's benefit. There are many benefits, and one of them is that you are crowned with the love of God, you are encircled, you are encompassed, you are surrounded by his presence and his love will defend you, his love will protect you, his love will deliver you safely, his love has got your back and got your front. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. Then the word love is the Hebrew word Keset, meaning favor and goodness and loving kindness. Why did David say, don't forget the Lord's benefits? I think he said it because he knows human nature is human nature. How quickly we get into a mindset where we start to feel self-pity we see one or two things not go the way we planned and we assume the conclusion. I don't know if you've ever watched an artist paint a painting, but how it starts out and how it ends up are two different canvases completely. 
And sometimes we judge what God is doing with us by the first few marks on that canvas. And we presume and sometimes we assume an incorrect finality and we say, woe is me. David says, don't forget God's benefit. His love will crown you, it encircles you, it encompasses you, and the love of God includes favor. So I don't know what your attitude or mindset is usually in life, but this is what I know the Word of God says, that I need to walk through life with an attitude that says, I am the favored of the Lord. I am the blessed. I am the apple of His eye. Look, I can assure you that if you try to put me in the eye, while I may not be able to stop you, there is an instant reflex built into my anatomy that will cause my eyelid to shut and try to cover and protect the pupil from debris coming my way. Well, David says that we are encircled by the favor of God. And the Bible says that God looks at us as if we are the apple of his eye. The thing of great beauty, the thing that is desirable. I mean, that shouldn't be hard to believe. Just look at me. That's three weeks in a row you've laughed when I've complimented myself. But that's all right, I'm laughing too. Too often we come towards life with a very negative perspective. And it is injurious to us. It is to our detriment. It will pull us down mentally and emotionally. And David says, don't forget the blessings of God because you are encircled, you are surrounded by God's favor, you are surrounded by God's goodness, you are surrounded by God's loving kindness. And so sometimes when you see the paint starting to get splashed on the canvas of your day-to-day experience, don't assume, woe is me, break out in a song and start to praise God and declare the blessing of God is mine, the favor of God is mine, I'm the apple of his eye, and all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called to his purposes. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. He says he crowns me with love and compassion. And the Hebrew word for compassion is rakham, rakham. And it means love, tender mercy, compassion. By extension, in other words, it also means, if this is true, then the next part is true. By extension, it's like the womb. The womb cherishes the fetus. It protects with that amniotic fluid, and it protects like an air cushion. It feeds, it nourishes. It covers, it holds 
close to oneself. And the compassion of God is like the imagery the Hebrews say of a fetus in a womb being protected, being surrounded, being covered, being so close to the one who loves that you become intimately one with them. How many of you like the definition of compassion? It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. The womb <clears throat> also becomes the place where the genetic blueprint of the father and the mother are imputed into the unborn child. The womb is the nesting place and the culmination of the love of a husband and a mother that as they embrace his seed, her egg, come together through what God always meant to be an act of love and who he is and who she is genetically become one and they impute into a new one the product of their love they impute who they are together the womb is a place of genetic imputation I'm transitioning here and we're going to come right into why Jesus died on the cross and why he rose from the grave. But the womb becomes the place where the genetic blueprint of the father and the mother are imputed into the unborn child. That child, you and I, have become the genetic byproduct of our parents. That child will genetically be who its parents are. While I only manifest some of the characteristics of my biological dad, and while I manifest some of the uh, uh, genetic characteristics of my mother, it doesn't change the fact that all of her information and all of his information are melded together and they're in here. The child becomes who they are. Now watch. When Adam sinned, he made us sinners. Even before we ever committed a sin. His fallen spiritual DNA. His fallen spiritual genetics were imputed into everyone born of the first Adam. In Romans chapter 5 verse 17, Paul is talking about this. And he says, through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. What's interesting about that word made, if we look that up in the Greek, it is the word kathisteme. And it literally means, it comes from two words, kata and histeme, and it means to place down permanently. 
figuratively to designate, to constitute, to convoy, to appoint, to be, it's who you are, to make, to ordain. You see, through the first Adam's sin, his nature changed. God said that the moment you sin, death will come into the world. Death is the epitome of everything breaking down. Science, if we only want to believe in science, I want you to understand that science at its best only confirms the Word of God. Science speaks about this law. It's one of the laws of uh, um, thermonetics, sorry, thermodynamics, and that is the law of entropy that everything left to its own device will break down. We see this in marriage. We get married, we're in love, we court each other, we pay compliments, we do nice things for each other, we show up with flowers, chocolates, we have great ideas for an outing, and then we get married and we no longer input into that relationship, and little by little, it dies. All of life is like this. Anything left to itself will slowly wear out and disintegrate or degenerate. God said, if you sin, if you break relationship with me, if you break the divine order that I've put into this cosmos, you will unleash a law called the law of entropy and everything will break down and everything will go from a state of being good to a a lesser and lesser state. For example, not only are we heading towards death, sickness is the result of one function in your body breaking down, another function breaking down, and it is the process of death. The organs and the, the fine balanced chemistry of how our bodies are meant to work starts to go haywire and everything starts to break down. Everything in life is under the curse of death. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back, the last enemy he will deal with is death. We think of death purely as I draw my last breath And now I'm laid down into a grave forever. The Bible speaks of death as a form of decay, a form of destruction, a form of the reversal of God's divine order. In God's divine order, everything goes from good to better and better, and it just keeps getting better. The Bible calls it going from glory to greater glory. In this world, we live under a scientific law and a spiritual curse that things will go from good to bad to worse. And things will ultimately continue to degenerate. That's the result of sin. That's the result of Adam, instead of obeying the God of the heavens, Obeying another one who has fallen before him. And the law of the kingdom of darkness is the law of sin and death. Sin 
and death. And everything is breaking down. Depending on your political persuasion, you might be trying to save the earth. It's a result of sin. It's a result of something even higher and stronger and humanly impossible to deal with. It is the result of a world gone wrong. And that's why we need a Savior. And that's why God stepped into the world to become like us, to reverse the curse, to break the curse, and to reestablish the law of righteousness and life. Amen. Amen. And everyone born into the first Adam is born with that spiritual DNA that is fallen. It's broken. And it is decaying. And while we can do some good things and at times uh, be quite admirable, everything in us and everything around us is tainted by the seed of sin. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Some of the most beautiful things in life, the most precious things, the things that we hold dearest to our heart, and we see that over a period of time, where there was joy, sorrow comes. Where there was expectation and, and happiness, ruin comes, hurt comes. The pain of life is the result of a world order that has come into the earth that God never intended. It comes because of sin. Now, in a moment, we're going to take hold of communion and I'm going to tie all of this together with the resurrection story. So just like Paul says in Romans chapter 5, through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Constitutionally, we changed. Our makeup changed. Who we are changed. And because our constitution changed, the fruit of our lives changed. And instead of having fruit of righteousness, there's fruit of jealousy, anger, rejection, resentment, inferiority, confusion, depression. There are two things. There are two things that happened when we were born from the first Adam. The first thing that happened was we were made sinners. The second thing that happened, because we were made sinners, we therefore commit sin and live lives of sin. Now, there are two types of sacrifices in the Old Testament that usually aren't explained enough. At the moment, with year one Bible college students, we're doing a course called Christ in the Old Testament. And most people don't realize that Christ is written all over the pages of the Old Testament. He's seen everywhere. And uh, in, in, one of the things that God did was he said to Moses, I want you to follow this order of practice 
of sacrifices and worship. And I want you to do it with great attention to detail because it represents spiritual things, real things that one day will manifest themselves. These things are a pattern of the things to come. And in the Old Testament system of, uh, of worship and sacrifice, there was an offering that the high priest would make, and it was called a sin offering. And you can read about this in the book of Leviticus, both in chapter 4 and in chapter 6. Leviticus talks about the sin offering. Now what's really interesting about the sin offering is this, that when a bull is offered as a sin offering, then whoever the person is that's bringing the offering, first of all, they have to bring an animal that's without spot, no blemishes, perfect in every detail. And one of the things that God required was that they would stand together with the priest and put their hands on that animal. And the reason why they would put their hands on that animal was because the same way Adam imputed sin into us, we are now symbolically imputing the sin nature we have into this animal. And the animal becomes the embodiment of sin. He becomes our sin. And he's put on the altar and slaughtered, sacrificed. The animal becomes our sin. And God said to the priests and to the people, this sacrifice you can't eat. Because it is sin. The sacrifice itself becomes sin. How many of you know where I'm going? The sacrifice itself becomes sin. And because it is utterly sinful, it is fallen, it has been imputed to the sinful nature of mankind, you've got to take it outside the camp and that's where you burn that sacrifice and it has to be utterly destroyed. Hmm. Interesting. The sin offering, the sin offering, was for the sins you didn't know you committed. You see, the sin offering and that animal paid a price for the sins you didn't even know you committed. Those are the sins, the sin nature that we inherited through the first Adam. It is symbolic of the fact that we were made sinners by the sin of Adam. The sin we didn't even know. In Leviticus chapter 4 verse 29, that's where God tells them there to lay their hands on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering. In this act, as we lay our hands on that animal, they become the embodiment of our sin and there is a transference. There's a transfer that takes place symbolically. The innocent of the animal becomes our innocence and the guilt or the sin of our nature becomes the animal's nature. There's an exchange that takes place. And so then that animal is burned outside the camp. Well, 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. You see, before we celebrate the resurrection, we have to understand why he died and why this resurrection is so powerful. And so the Old Testament speaks of the realities that were going to come. The Old Testament paints pictures of Jesus Christ all through every book and every page. There are paintings and pictures, word imagery that points to Yeshua, the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the same way the sin offering was for the sins you didn't even know you committed. Those sins that are inherently in your nature. That animal becomes the sin of the offerer and the offerer takes on the innocence of the animal. That's what Jesus did on the cross. The first Adam made us sinners. My sin made the last Adam. Sin. And he exchanged his place on that altar of sacrifice. And you and I, by nature, take on his righteous nature. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Romans 5.19, I read the first half of the verse, the last half of we allow Paul to finish his thought. In verse 19, he says, Just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made constitutionally. They were wrecked. It was stamped into their spiritual DNA. They will be sinners in the same way through the obedience of the one man. Jesus Christ, the many are made righteous. Praise God. I love it. I love it. You see, what's so amazing about this truth is that the first Adam was a living being, but the last Adam, Jesus Christ, is a life-giving spirit. The first Adam was 100% of this earth, but the last Adam is the Son of God. And if the Son of Man, or if the first Adam could affect every generation and change our constitution, how much more the Son of God changing places with us not only forgives us of sin, but he deals with the sin nature and changes who we are. When you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, he doesn't just erase your sins and, and, and leave no record of your past. No, he goes much deeper than that and he destroys the spiritual DNA of destruction that was imputed to us through the first Adam and he gives us the right to be partakers of a divine nature. Come on, somebody get excited. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We see the effects of the first Adam all over the world. 
But don't forget the benefits of God. What are those benefits? (laughs) The same way that bull received the sin nature of the offer and died for it. An exchange took place. God sent his son in human likeness and he was made kathistome, sin. And that sin was crucified and you and I were made again in the likeness of God. Fantastic. There is a second sacrifice spoken of in Leviticus that is very similar to the first, but yet distinctly different. And most people have trouble discerning and differentiating between the two. The second offering is called the trespass offering, and sometimes it's called the guilt offering. And you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 5 and Leviticus chapter 7. The difference between the sin offering And the trespass or guilt offering is this. The sin offering, an animal died because of who we are. And we exchanged character, so to speak. He became sin, we became innocent. In the trespass or guilt offering, you made this sacrifice for the sins that you were conscious of. They are the sins that came out of who you are. The trespass offering, the guilt offering, was a sacrifice for the sins I committed. The first was a sacrifice to save me from who I was. The second is a sacrifice to save me from what I did. Can you hear that? Yeah. What's interesting about these two sacrifices is that in these two sacrifices there is a complete salvation mirrored in the Old Testament speaking and pointing to Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he became sin. He took the sinful nature of the first Adam He took the sinful nature of every one of us here. He became it. And he exchanged to us, if we would believe on him, the righteousness of God. A whole new nature. The cross is the place of exchange. And we become who he was. And he becomes who we were. We become who he is, the righteousness of God. Praise God. It's a powerful truth, very powerful truth. In the trespass offering or the guilt offering, the animal pays the price for the sins we commit. I want to show you something in Isaiah chapter 53. If we could put the scripture up in verse 10, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he bears uh, 
it becomes an offering for sin. That word sin is asham, asham, if we could have the Hebrew up, asham, and it is the same word used in Leviticus for the guilt offering. So Jesus is paying the price for the sins we committed. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that our sin nature is dealt with and we take on the righteous nature of God. But by the same token, Jesus became the second offering, the trespass offering, the guilt offering, and now he's paying the price for what I knowingly do wrong for the sins that I've committed. The first sacrifice was for the sin of the first Adam and the effect it's had on humanity. The second sacrifice is for the sins that we perpetrate on a regular basis. It goes on to say in Isaiah chapter 53, if we look at uh, verse 11, the second half of verse 11, by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many. By coming to know him, by coming to believe on him, by coming to put your life in his hands and trust him emphatically, the many will be justified and he will bear their iniquities. He will, asham, be the guilt offering for every sin you and I have committed that we keep hidden and we hope nobody ever finds out about. Praise God. He will bear their iniquities. The next verse, verse 12. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the guilty, the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I want you to note something here. In the Old Testament, not one of the sacrifices ever came back to life. Not one bull, not one goat, not one lamb, not one turtle dove ever came back to life. And you might think, well, of course, that's natural. No, it's natural in a fallen world. We expect death to be final. We expect death to be the ultimate destruction. But the reason why no animal, not even under the hand of God, ever came back from the dead is because sin would swallow up the sacrifice. The sacrifice had no power to deal with sin. It had no victory over sin. And therefore, sin and death would swallow up the sacrifice. And it was a constant reminder that year after year, they would have to make another sacrifice because it was only a token. It was only a holdover. It was only a symbolic thing. But when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he rose from the dead because he broke the power of sin and death. He broke the power of the curse of sin and he sets us free. Amen. Amen. 
as much as everything in the Old Testament is a pattern of the things to come, no sacrifice ever rose from the dead because they had no power over sin. But the Lamb of God who came from heaven became the sin offering. He died and took on my sin nature and your sin nature and we take on the righteous nature of God. And he died for all the actual sins I've ever committed and will ever commit. But he rose from the dead because the power of sin and death couldn't hold him in the grave. You see, hang on, hang on, it's going to get better. You see, the result of sin, the result of sin is the constant breaking down of everything in life. The result of sin is that scientific term that I used before for thermodynamics, uh, uh, the, the sin, the, the curse of everything breaking down. When Jesus rose from the grave, he not only finished the forgiveness of our sins, but he broke the very element that brought the curse of death, the curse that breaks everything in life down. He destroyed it and thereby brought us victory over the enemy and everything that the enemy tries to bring against us. Amen. The law of entropy, the consequences of sin, is that everything will break down. And so every bull and goat that had no power to destroy sin, sin destroyed it. But Jesus went to the grave, and he not only took your sinful nature, nailed it to the cross, and gave you a new nature, he not only took the list of all of our sins and all of our shameful things and tore it up and covered it in the blood, but he also, he rose from the grave because he was destroying the law of entropy. Every curse that you face in life, Jesus rose from the grave as a testimony that he has defeated the effects of sin. Whether it's cancer, whether it's arthritis, whether it's a, a dissolution of relationships, whatever it might be, every curse that comes upon humanity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is testimony that death no longer has its power, sin no longer has its power, but its redemption is met in Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement here this morning? Amen. I want you to reach down to the seat in front of you and you're going to see a communion cup. I'd like you to take that communion cup. Praise God. Oh. No wonder Paul wrote, death, where is your sting? The law of sin and death has been broken through the righteousness and the life of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
You see, I'm redeemed from every curse. And so are you. Because this sacrifice came back to life. That's why we don't need a new sacrifice month after month and year after year. The victory over sin and death has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus sat at the table just hours before his own crucifixion, and he said to his disciples, I want you to take this unleavened bread. This is my body which is broken for you. He was drawing parallels with the sacrificial animals that would pay the price because of the sin that came into the world and because of the sins we commit. He died for two reasons. To deal with the sin nature, the spiritual DNA of a fallen man. And he gave us the spiritual DNA of the risen man. If we bore the likeness of the first Adam, how much more? If we bear the likeness of the last Adam. If the first human being could wreck all of humanity, how much more the Son of God can transform all of humanity. Amen. He said, this is my body which is broken for you, and this cup represents the blood. The blood of bulls and goats represented my blood. This cup represents my blood which is shed for you. Do you understand that every time we eat and drink of this, we're doing what Psalm 103 exhorts us to do, forget none of his benefits. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance. Forget not the benefits. And so we take communion and we remind ourselves of the benefits. You see, life has a way of labeling us. Alcoholic. Fool. Failure. No good. Rejected. Useless. And the first Adam labeled us through a spiritual DNA that went haywire. But the last Adam rescued us and gave us the right to be partakers of a divine nature. Amen. Through these great and precious promises, we become partakers of the divine nature of God. As you eat, as you drink, as we fellowship together, we are reminding ourselves, I'm not a sinner, Saved by grace. I'm a son of God. I was a sinner. I am saved by grace. But I don't live by the old title anymore. I was a failure. But I don't live by the old title anymore. 
Something intrinsically has changed. Something inside of us changes. When we honestly put our faith in Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of God, God allows a miracle to happen in our spiritual DNA. The very reason we ask Jesus into our heart, and the very reason why Jesus said, you must be born again, is because until we are, we're still born into the old Adam and at best we are sinners but when we are born again we are born into the last Adam and the same way we bore the likeness of the first Adam we truly bear the likeness of the last Adam the miracle of resurrection is that Jesus broke the curse and sets us free amen would you stand with me right now As you take today of communion emblems, I want you to remember the benefits. I am a new creature. Second Corinthians chapter five. Interesting. Verse 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin. So we become righteous. Maybe three verses before that, you know what God says? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The old is past, the new has come, and they are a new creature. You see, the cross isn't just to wash away, erase my list of sins. The cross deals with the sin nature and the curse of the first Adam. And I don't have to live under the bondage of that curse because now we are sons of the Most High. I want to remind you of what this really means. This is not just a religious ceremony. This reminds us of a reality that changes our lives and changes our world. Amen. I believe with all my heart that in Christ, in this sacrifice that he made, God had a plan so complete that on every arena that the enemy comes to nail us to the mat, Jesus says, that's why I was nailed to the cross. So the enemy can't nail you to the mat. I'm tired of being nailed to the mat. God is tired of seeing humanity that was created in his image constantly being nailed to the mat by demons. No, through this Christ, we have a hope and more than a hope, a living reality. Our sins and the very nature of our sin and the cause and the effect of sin has been canceled and death no longer has a sting on us for we are the redeemed of the Lord. Amen. And let the redeemed say so. Jesus it stands to reason no sacrifice ever came back from the dead but you because they could only cover temporarily symbolically 
but you went to the very root of the problems in my life and you went to the very root to the problems in this world and I thank you I thank you Jesus that you were willing to pay the price to set me free to set us free now I encourage you if you have believed on the Lord as your Savior take this wafer and eat it and remember that he paid a price in his body drink from the cup and remember your sins are not only forgiven your sin nature has been made null and void through the power of Jesus Christ let's eat and drink Before anybody moves to those of us who believe this is a powerful powerful day in history he broke the chains of oppression he broke the control of fear he broke the power of sin he broke the curse and rose above it to show us that now we can rise above it through him but I said earlier that it's not about going to church oh that's really important but it's about making that personal decision to let Jesus Christ come into your heart Last week I shared with you how he is our kinsman redeemer, the next of kin. And he paid the price for our debt and took us on, debts and all, and rescues us with his wealth and riches. If you have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, then this would just be a service and a symbolic thing. And the reality hasn't happened in your life yet. And while I just shared what is the greatest story in the world, the saddest one, is that some will reject the opportunity to receive Christ. So whether you were born Baptist whether you were born Pentecostal, whether you were born Catholic, whatever name tag somebody wrapped around you, the truth is none of that really counts. What counts is that Jesus Christ died for us people who were sinners. And when we accept him into our lives, when we say, yes, Jesus, I believe on you, come and live inside of me, then something happens that religion can't do. Only the resurrecting power of the Spirit of God can do. And that is, He will cause us to come alive spiritually. And we get grafted into His family. 
every eye closed. This Resurrection Sunday, I hope today more than ever you understand why Jesus died on the cross and why he rose again. This is the sacrifice who could not be held by the power of sin. He broke the power of sin and rose from the grave. I hope you understand it more than ever. But more than that, I hope today, if you've never made this decision, that you will be quick to raise your hand in a moment and say, I want Jesus Christ to come into my life if he is God and he did all that for me, I want someone who can love me so deeply that he didn't think about his own life. Every eye closed. If you've never asked Christ into your heart or you walked away and you want to come back quickly, raise your hand right now and say, I want Jesus. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Praise God. You can put your hands down. That's awesome. If Praise God. I believe there's still even more. If you've never asked Christ in your heart and you haven't raised your hand yet, come on, just raise your hand and say yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. Praise God. That's awesome. All over this auditorium, people are saying yes to Jesus Christ. I think that's fantastic. Church, what do you think about people asking Jesus into their hearts? Amen. Amen. I want everyone to repeat a prayer after me. And those of you that just raised your hand, we're going to pray something really simple because it doesn't take intelligence or great education for God to come into your life. It takes the faith of a child. And we're going to pray an invitation that says, God, Jesus, I'm letting you come into my heart. So everyone, especially those of you who just raised your hand, I want you to pray this with all your heart right now. Everyone repeat after me. God, I thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It means the power of sin is broken. I thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross for me, for all my mistakes and all my sin. I thank you, Jesus Christ, and I welcome you into my life today. Cover me with your sacrificial blood. Let your supernatural power begin its work inside of me. I thank you, Jesus. I receive you into my life by faith. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have come into me right now. That Jesus, you live in me as of now. I welcome you to lead me and guide me. 
all the days of my life. Speak to me. Talk to me. Show me. I want to live with you. Amen. Now I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for these men and women, couples, individuals who prayed this prayer today. God, you're the one who sees, and I know you see. You have given me the right as a priest of the new covenant to break the power of sin and to break Satan's right over people's lives. While witches and warlocks will put curses, we bring the blessing of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I take the blood not of bulls and goats, but of Jesus. And every woman, every man that's raised their hand today, every person who said, I want to come back, I thank you that the power of the blood of Jesus Christ breaks the power of sin. It breaks the power of shame. It breaks the power of guilt. And it breaks the power of the kingdom of darkness. I thank you today as I apply the blood of Jesus to every one of these men and women that today, because of Jesus Christ, their sins are forgiven. And today they are born again, not of flesh, but of spirit. Amen. And they are sons of God. Amen. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your ongoing ministry in their lives. Continue to speak to them and lead them and guide them in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Those of you who have prayed this prayer, whether by live stream or physically here today, I commend you. And if you haven't raised your hand and you want to talk to me afterwards, I'm here. I'm here as long as you're here. Be more than willing to sit and talk with you and pray with you. Church, one more time, those that raise their hand, show them what you think of their decision today. Amen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. If you have raised your hand, make your way. Come over to me. Talk to me for a moment. I want to bless you. I want to shake your hand. Church, have a blessed Resurrection Sunday and forget not the benefits of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. God bless you. God bless you, church. Hey.